in uh, Luke chapter 24 today, because that is uh, the passage that we're spending our time in as we focus on the resurrection today. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, that's where we're going to be hanging out. And we've traveled to the cross for the last four weeks. We've followed Jesus to the cross. We've seen that we've wanted to emulate what he's been doing uh, as he teaches, as he lives, as he... Uh, as he teaches, as he heals, as he connects with other people. And, and now we're going to find our, we, we've traveled to the cross where we watched the, the, the great sacrifice of Jesus on the cross in the midst of, of the, the horror and the pain as, as we watched what the cross does, which is to tell us and remind us the truth of who we are, that it, that it opens up. It's a, but, it, but at the same time, it provides a pathway for our own reconciliation. And now we're going to find ourselves after the cross. Because as much as we rush to joy after the cross as we ought to, um, what we find is that that wasn't necessarily the case for the first hearers of this reality. When they arrived after the cross... In the immediate aftermath of the cross, they were still fearful, they were still confused, they were still wondering what on earth was happening in the world around them. They were carrying the memory and shock in their bodies of watching the trauma that they had experienced on Friday. And in this moment, they're feeling that desperation and confusion, but everything is about to change. Because on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, now I stopped in the middle of the sentence because I want us to to live there for a minute and imagine what they were wondering. Because sometimes we've got this distance of thousands of years of history and we think that they were so much different than we were. And that and that their first thought when they came to an empty tomb would have been like, ah, resurrection, this is what happens. No, that's not the case. Their first response would have been, to be, what, what on earth is happening here? And their first response would have been the very simplest explanation, that, that, that this was another indignity of stealing Jesus' body imposed on them by the Romans. Now, I, and I want us to be clear that, that, that sometimes we think that miracles happened then in a way that they don't happen now, so everybody just had their brains tuned to be aware of them. That's not necessarily the case. Even 2,000 years ago, the dead stayed dead. And even 2,000 years ago, they would have heard the stories of Elijah ascending into heaven uh, on the back of a chariot. They would have heard the stories from Genesis of Enoch who walked with God and then was not. They would have heard those stories of someone not dying with, with a little bit of doubt, with a little bit of incredulity, with a little bit of confusion as to what those stories were telling them. And we feel that as well. So when they were wondering about this, their minds would have gone all of the places that your minds would go. What on earth is happening here? Who has stolen this body? Because that's the only option that happens in this world. The dead stay dead. This is another indignity imposed on them by the Romans and the Sanhedrin. But but while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? 
he is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again? And then they remembered his words. And when we hear this, when I read this, I deal with the frustration of like, yeah, of course, why didn't you think of that first? Jesus said multiple times, no, the Son of Man has to go, he has to be killed, uh, die, three days later he rose again. None of them seemed to be expecting this to happen. And, and, and I understand, and I hear that with frustration, because it's like, were you so blind? But the reality is we deal with this all the time. We hear words and people say things and never expect them to actually happen. The most clear example of this in my life is that I will at least two or three times a week say to my children, we are leaving in half an hour, you should get ready. And then 10 minutes later, we're leaving in 20 minutes, you should get ready. And then what inevitably happens is half an hour later when I have my coat and my shoes on, and I'm like, are you guys ready to go? One of the children will look at me like, what? We're leaving? Why? And then I remind them of my words. And I'd say, yeah, half an hour ago I said we'd be leaving, and then they remember my words and they rush around trying to gather all of their stuff. And I don't know if this is a deliberate like attempt not to believe me, or if the concept of leaving the house just doesn't fit into their cosmology, therefore it can't be adapted into their brains. But this is, we do this all the time. There's information that is too good, too big, too, too difficult for us to grasp. And, and we do this as well, where it doesn't make sense until afterwards, and when, when we're in the middle of it, where they finally start to understand, oh, okay, they remembered his words. But they still didn't really grasp it because we see that when they got back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. And it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense, something that continues to this day, where we don't believe women because their words seem like nonsense. Doesn't mean they're not right, but, but women, sorry. And this has continued for 2,000 years and dudes sometimes just be like, okay. Um, but Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb, slower than John. Uh, that's another sermon. Uh, bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering by himself, wondering to himself what had happened. So even Peter's first reaction to this isn't automatic joy. Jesus, Peter's first reaction to this isn't, oh, right, exactly, what he said. Jesus' first reaction is, what on earth is going on here? What world are we living in? What, 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 is, what is the response to this? Our first expectation after, after being led to the story in this long, that, that, that Peter's response to this would be walking and leaping and praising God, as we've seen so many people who've been healed. But this is bigger than that. And we forget that events take time to process. And, events to, and joy takes time to build. And, and, and joy of, of, of decoration and, and the joy that exists is only built on a foundation of wonder and confusion and processing. And that's what we're watching everyone doing. And we ought to do that as well for a time. Just sit in the wonder of what, what, what is going on here. 
because everything I thought about this world that was solid, that dead people stayed dead, that when the state crushed you and put you into the ground, that you stayed there. When evil won, it won. That reality that we all lived in, all of a sudden, in a moment, it's changed. And what are the implications of that for the world in which we live? We have confusion. And we have wonder, how did this happen? What could this mean? And it's okay for us to live there for a moment. And this continues, where, where everyone that encounters Jesus' resurrection seems to live in this moment of confusion. The book of Luke continues that, that at the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with him, them, but they were kept from recognizing them. He asked them, what were you discussing as you walked along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. And one of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know these things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. And I love that this is a very ancient instance of dramatic irony. This doesn't exist very often in ancient literature. But this idea where we as the readers know more information than, than the people who are participating in the story is a relatively new way of writing things, even then. And we understand that this was Jesus. But they're walking through this in their confusion and their faces downcast and their sadness going like, we don't know what's going on here. What could this possibly mean for the world in which we live. And he continues, and, he be, and Jesus explains to them, what the book of Luke tells us that he begins to explain to them from the scriptures how slow of heart to believe they are, all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And then at the beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, he, he interpreted them, the, all the scriptures concerning himself, and all of the things are starting to fall into place for them. That it's like, oh, right, Dad said to us half an hour ago we'd be leaving. And then, and then he seemed to start getting ready to go and putting on pants. Then he came into the room another time and was like, hey, you should probably start getting ready. Oh, now all of these random events are starting to make sense in our minds. It's the exact same adjustment that's happening and he continues and, and goes to eat with them and when he was at the table with them this is Jesus he took bread gave thanks broke it and began to give it to them and then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight and they asked each other were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened up the scriptures to us this is a common feeling as people begin to understand and wrestle with the reality of who Jesus is, that we have this burning heart experience where you're hearing news and it's like, could that possibly be true? Because that sounds too good to be true. That sounds like a story that you would make up to, to, to make it possible for you to sleep at night in a confusing world that, 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 that it, where it appears that nothing matters. But there's something about this story that, man, I wish it were possible for that story to be true. I wish it were possible for someone to triumph over death and for that to be the plan of God's reconciliation from the beginning to the end. That sounds really wonderful. But in the midst of this, I'm finding that very hard to believe. 
were not our hearts burning within us. But they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together, together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and he has appeared to Simon. And then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when they broke the bread. They had burning hearts working within them. And immediately it shifts, because while they were still talking about this, some of them believing, some of them not believing, some of them accepting this with joy, some people still wrestling with the like, wait a minute, the ground feels shaky right now. Somebody, just wait a second. We're talking about the dead not staying dead. That is a massive reordering of the way that we understand the universe. Let's, but while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. And they were startled and frightened, thinking that they had seen a ghost. And he's, which I find amazing, right? Because we also have a tendency to do this ourselves. That we see something that we don't understand, and we can't possibly incorporate into our experience. Therefore, we place it in another equally ridiculous circumstance that we can't possibly, we know can't possibly be true. And... My favorite example of this is, uh, and he almost makes me like him uh, because it's, it's kind of endearing, and, and it's the, the, the kind of the fundamentalist atheist Richard Dawkins, and, and he doesn't believe that any creation on earth happened because of an intervention by God. He, that's is the basics of what he believes. And it, so, but there's a huge jump that science hasn't answered about how did we get from no life to life. That's a massive jump, and no one's been able to do that. And we can insert God into that, and, and, and that sort of makes sense, but we don't have any way to prove that. And somebody was asking, asking Richard Dawkins about this, like, how did we jump from no life to life then? You know, like, what is your explanation of this? And, and one of the suggestions that he put forth was that, was that aliens from another place had come here and started, and, and took us from no life to life, which is very, it's equally as ridiculous. And, and it's basically like, oh, it's turtles all the way down. Like, uh, so how did the aliens get from no life to life? Well, other aliens can't. And it almost makes me like him because it's just like, oh, you're also not aware of your blind spots. It's almost endearing. But, but it's interesting, but he creates this other category that's equally ridiculous because he's not comfortable with the ramifications of the category that God created the universe. And in the same way, they're just like, whoa, 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 whoa. This can't possibly be Jesus returned. That's too big a, too big a deal. It must be a ghost. And then Jesus responds, why are you troubled? And why are you, do doubts rouse in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It, it, is my, it is I myself, touch me and see, a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see as I have. <laughs> and, I, and I don't want to dwell on this too much, but I have a degree in hermeneutics. I spend my life talking about this. And is it possible that Jesus is saying that ghosts exist? Ghosts exist? He's not not saying that ghosts exist. I don't think that's the guiding principle of the passage, but, but it's something that in my decades worth of study I had never noticed before, that Jesus was just like, we all know what ghosts are like, they don't have bones. And it's like, wait, wait, wait a minute, when, when did we discuss this previously?
Then he opens their minds, so he eats with them. And then it says that he opens their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And he told, told them, this is what was written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And I'm going to send you out to what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have clothed been clothed with power from on high this is jesus standing with his coat on and his shoes on being like no we're leaving i told you half an hour ago that we were leaving now their eyes are open to the reality that there is an outside that exists beyond their screens and drawings that they are doing in their room right now and they're like oh oh sometimes we go outside when someone tells us to go out outside this is what he's opening their minds to this new reality that they're living in and they go through this same pattern that we see multiple times in this chapter and that he continues when he had when we see that this continues on further that when he had led them up out of the vicinity of bethany he lifted up his hands and blessed them and while he was blessing them he left them and was taken up into heaven and there they were, then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. And there's a pattern that begins to appear that we've seen multiple times throughout this passage, that the reaction to the, to the resurrection of Jesus starts with confusion. What's going on here? And it's not just them. We experience this pattern as well. And if you're in the middle of, of hearing the information of the resurrection of Jesus and going like, ah, I, what? That's an okay place to be. That's part of the pattern that happens. We start with confusion. What is going on here? Why are people telling this story? Why does it still seem to matter 2,000 years after the fact? None of us can prove that this thing happened. How is this story being told? Why is this giving people joy in this way? And then we start to believe, but you, then we experience the burning of hearts where we also say, but you know what? That would be kind of cool if that was true. Like if that was a reality that was possible, that, that death has no sting, that there is victory over the grave, that, that, that every bad thing, every sad thing is made untrue. That's a pretty good, imagine if that was true. Imagine if that was, and then as we come to terms and accept this as reality, we do experience that joy that, wait a minute, the entire world has changed. This is, is true. I've seen it. I've seen the difference that it's made in the lives of the people around me. I've seen the difference that it's made in my life. I see the joy and the peace that has come from people who are in bondage in this, and this reality is making all things new, and that results again in praise. That like we need to praise God for what is happening in, in us and among us. We need to, to operate we need to operate in a different way and in a more joyful way because of this amazing gift. And all of the things that we were afraid of don't matter anymore. This is the pattern through which we walk. But the pattern doesn't stop merely at praise, and nor should the pattern stop merely at praise for us as well, because it continues and finds its ultimate consummation in sacrifice. Because every one of those people who heard that news, who walked through the confusion of the resurrection, felt that burning in their hearts. Could this be 
true. Experience the joy of like, this is true. This is happening. This is the world is changed. Praise God. The world is changing to be different. Every one of them were killed because of that information. Every one of the 11 found their death because they desired to share this good news with everyone that, that they encountered. And this reality of the resurrection only, find, only is consummated when we find ourselves willing to give as well. When we find ourselves willing to share as well. When we find ourselves so overwhelmed by this good news that there is nothing that anyone can do to us to make us stop sharing this good news. That we are going to give of ourselves sacrificially in terms of our time, our treasure, our talents. We're going to give of ourselves to this world. We're going to work towards making it a better place because we know that death has no sting. We know that nothing, that, that nothing terrible has the last word and we know that this story ends in victory in an empty tomb. So this is the reality of the pattern that we walk through. So the challenge for us is to, is, is to ensure that we're walking on this pattern. Because most of us, I think, today, as we arrive this morning, are somewhere in between joy and praise. You could be in confusion, you could be in burning, that would be okay too. But I think most of us live in this place of between joy and praise. Yes, this is good, I believe this. But there's a danger if it stops there. And this news of the resurrection does not impact us enough unless it moves to us being willing to live sacrificially for others, for us being willing to live bravely for others, for us being willing to give everything we have because what this has taught us is that death does not have the last word. It's the challenge for us. So this Resurrection Sunday is not merely a time of celebration, although it ought to be a time of celebration, and it should be a time of celebration. And I hope that you do celebrate. We will celebrate as we sing, and we will celebrate, and I hope that you celebrate as you go home with your family for the rest of this day. But it ought to be consummated in sacrifice, in the joyful willingness to give ourselves away on behalf of people who believe that death has the last word, of people who believe that bondage is the way that things work who believe that pain lasts forever, and to tell them the truth. That the only thing that lasts forever is the love and the grace of Jesus. Let's pray. God, we want to praise you because you are risen. We want to praise you because of what you have done. We want to praise you for your resurrection. We want to praise you for, the, for what your resurrection means for us, that we can have life and abundant and eternal because of what you have done. And we ask that, that, that 